you turn in your Bibles to Titus chapter 1, verses 5 through 9. We began a study of the book of Titus last week. A study where we asked the question, what does it mean to be a healthy church? How do we, how do we be a healthy church? By extension, how do we personally be healthy, spiritually healthy? And so we continue and uh, turn our attention to uh, chapter 1, beginning with verse 5. This is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what remained in order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. If anyone is above reproach, the husband of one wife and his children are believers and not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination. For an overseer as God's steward must be above reproach. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered or a drunkard or violent or greedy for gain, but hospitable, a lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. He must hold firmly to the trustworthy, trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also rebuke those who contradict it. For there are many who are insubordinate, empty talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision party. Father, we pray that you'd give us wisdom, you'd open our eyes, open our hearts, and that you would, by your Holy Spirit, uh, use this in our lives and use this in our church. Uh, that we might be a healthy church and we might be healthy people um, who know and love and live for you. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, the book of Titus, we find here the reason why uh, Titus was written. The Apostle Paul is writing to his uh, co-worker, his trusted protege, who is has been left in Crete, the um, island in the Mediterranean, the third largest island. And um, he is uh, here interested in setting in order uh, what needs to be done. It was a a very uh, young group of churches. Uh, We can compare the book of Titus to the book of 1 Timothy. In a similar way, the Apostle Paul left and, and sent his young protege, Timothy, to pastor uh, the church in Ephesus, and it was, uh, we can look at the, the qualifications that are given of leaders in Timothy and Titus and see uh, many, many similarities. The largest difference is there's no mention of deacons in uh, the book of Titus, and that is because the church wasn't yet developed. You had, in fact, no elders in Crete, whereas in Ephesus you had both elders and deacons, uh, a fully formed group and. Paul was giving Timothy instructions on what those uh, additional elders and deacons, what they should look like, what their qualifications should be. Whereas in Titus, they're appointing for the first time elders in the various churches on the island of Crete. And so we see here that in order to have a healthy church, you need to have healthy leadership. And that healthy leadership needs to ensure that there's healthy teaching in the church. A healthy church requires healthy leadership. And first of all, it requires leadership. And the leadership here are called elders. 
uh, and we have elders in our church as well. And we find that it is imperative that we have elders and leaders in our church. Um, you might think, well, uh, what's the big deal? Uh, why, uh, why elders? Why leaders? I mean, if we have the Spirit of God living in us, we have the fruit of the Spirit, um, can't we just get along without elders and leaders in our church? That was not the Apostle Paul. That's not the Word of God. The Word of God says no, that they're vital, that these things needed to be set in order. It was not yet done. It had to be done uh, for the good of the church. Some might say, is it really that big a deal? Okay, it's in there. Yes, it's important. It's absolutely important for the health and the life of the church. So part of what I'm going to do today is talk a little bit of about Titus and a little bit about our church and our denomination uh, so that you kind of understand how we apply these things. For instance, um, I'm called pastor by many or preacher, um, and in our denomination we have what are called teaching elders and ruling elders. Uh, last week we installed elders, and we just think of those as elders. You've got the elders and the pastor. In reality, we're all elders. The pastor and the elders are all elders, but we distinguish between ruling elders and teaching elders. And you see that distinction in 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 17, where the Apostle Paul says, Let elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and in teaching. So there's a, a difference, a distinction between elders and those elders who teach and preach. And so we, in our denomination, have that distinction. We call what you call elders, ruling elders, and pastor, a teaching elder. And all teaching elders need to teach, and all ruling elders need to be lowercase t at least. They don't need to have the gift of teaching. Uh, some, of, some of you do, some of our elders do, in fact, some of our deacons do, and some of you who are not ordained to either office have a gift in teaching. Uh, not all elders need to have the gift of teaching, but they need to be able, as we will find out, they need to be able to hold firm and understand and correct where necessary so that the truth is taught within the church. In our day, there are churches that put too much authority in the congregation, right? Congregation pretty much runs everything. There has to be a vote for everything. Uh, and there are churches that put too much authority in one person. And sometimes that person is the pastor, uh, but that's not always the case. Sometimes there's somebody else running the show. Um, but what the Apostle Paul in Scripture says is there is a plurality of leaders. There's a plurality of elders who are appointed and are designated uh, to lead the church. And we have designated elders in our church to do that. Now, you can have a church uh, with, without deacons, but you can't have a, a church without elders. Not a, we call it a particularized church. You can have a, a, a new, growing church, uh, but it's not complete unless there are elders who are in authority who are overseeing the work of that church. Now, you don't want churches without deacons. Deacons don't misunderstand me. You're important. 
Um, and in fact, if we don't have deacons in a church, the, the responsibilities of the deacons fall to the elders. And so the deacons, as we find in 1 Timothy, are those that are set aside and they do work in terms of uh, meeting the practical needs of the church, mercy ministry, other practical needs of the church. And so if there are no deacons, that falls to the elders. But it's good when you have deacons, uh, believe me, that can help in those responsibilities. So um, we have designated formally approved leaders called elders. And uh, every church should have them. Um, but you just don't have any warm body be an elder in your church. There are qualifications, and healthy churches need spiritually healthy and wise leaders. Verse 6, if anyone is above reproach, the husband of one wife and his children are believers and not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination, for an overseer as God's steward must be above reproach. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered or a drunkard or violent or greedy for gain, but hospitable, a lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. First note that the elders should be above reproach. In fact, that's repeated twice, once in verse 6 and once in verse 7. What does that mean, above reproach? It doesn't mean perfect. Uh, it means not open to accusation. And when I say that, just because there's an accusation against somebody doesn't uh, disqualify them from being an elder. We find in 1 Timothy 5, 19 and 20, do not admit a charge against an elder except on the evidence of two or three witnesses. As for those who pers persist in sin, rebuke them in the presence of all so that they, the rest may stand in fear, right? So just because somebody is accused of something doesn't disqualify them from being an elder but not open to a charge of the things that the Apostle Paul is going to speak of here in the book of Titus. It means qualifying uh, as the criteria is laid out here. Now, the first thing uh, that you should understand is the emphasis here is on character rather than expertise, right? Uh, Paul isn't saying to Titus, you need to find the, the most dynamic speaker or the most uh, charismatic individual to be a leader in your church. You need to have somebody that can be really good at crunching numbers or whatever, right? There's, he's not talking about expertise primarily. He's talking about character. Uh, when Dr. Watson, uh, our previous pastor, was looking for an assistant pastor, um, turned out to be me, um, and I found out later the, the, the back story, right? He, he checked up on me. And, um, and he uh, called a, a pastor that I had worked with uh, previously and said, uh, you know, give me the scoop on Ron. And the pastor said, well, Ron is a Christian. Um, that's not necessarily a great compliment. You know, he didn't say Ron is this uh, spectacular leader. Ron is this wonderful preacher. Ron is just incredible administratively. You know, I, I'm sort of reminded, it reminds me a little bit of when I was in seminary and I took my first preaching course and I, I preached my first sermon and uh, we were supposed to dress up. You know, I had my, my JCPenney uh, blue blazer on and and I bought it for that purpose and, and was uh, preaching. And I preached my first sermon. And the, the uh, 
the professor that was to critique me in front of the class afterwards paused and he said, well, you look like a preacher. <laughs> Not a compliment. Uh, and so, well, he's a Christian. Um, but actually, um, and, and I should say this, um, just talk to my wife, talk to my friends, talk to me. They can tell you my flaws. I can tell you my flaws, which are many. And as I've said numerous times to the church, thank you for being very patient with your pastor. But what that showed, it showed something uh, in terms of both Dr. Watson and that other pastor and what they thought was important. They first focused on character. That was important in their criteria of who should be an elder, in this case a teaching elder, in the church. And so what character traits should an elder possess? Well, the first one is sexual fidelity to one's spouse and to Christ. We see that in, right off the bat, verse 6, the husband of one wife. And actually, literally, in the Greek, you would translate that a one-woman man. And so people have... Um, apply this in various ways in terms of polygamy and, and other aspects. But first and foremost, this is about uh, elders who are married, that they would be faithful uh, to their spouses sexually. We had a, a search team at a church I worked at uh, previous to my uh, position here. And um, we were looking for a non-pastoral staff, somebody to come on staff and fill an important position. And uh, we had a resume come across our desk, and the, the team that got together um, began to speak of this individual. And I found out uh, I knew somebody that knew this person. And uh, the, so the, the team said, well, please contact them and kind of check up on them. And so I did, and this person responded, you don't want that person. So I reported that back to the team, and uh, okay, well, the search went on for a couple more uh, months. We were having a hard time filling the position, and, and the, the, the leader of the search committee said, hey, you know, this, this guy on paper is perfect. He's, you know, he's qualified, he's experienced, and uh, would you go back to your source and, and find out? Because really, I mean, it looks like we should be pursuing this person. And so I went back to, to my source, and I said, well, I explained, and they said, well, just tell the team this, he prefers blondes. Okay. So I did, we did not hire that person, and I'm very glad we did not hire that person. They ended up going to another position, and a scandal ensued as a result of uh, immoral lifestyle. So, sexual fidelity, uh, to your spouse. That doesn't mean, by the way, that you have to be married to be an elder, uh, but it, most of the uh, people that would have qualified for the position would have been married. Secondly, wise parenting is an indication of the potential of wise leadership in the church. It says here, his children are believers and are not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination. <clears throat> We have a translation challenge here with the word believers um, because it can easily mean uh, believers or it can easily mean faithful. The Greek word that is translated believers in our English standard version uh, can just as easily be translated faithful and in the um, English 
translations of the New Testament, you find the word used basically about the same amount. Um, and I believe that the best translation is faithful. And the reason why, you need to look at context to understand what the proper translation is. And I believe if you go to 1 Timothy 3, again, which, which um, has similar qualifications, uh, we read this in 1 Timothy 3, 4, and 5. He must manage his own household well, with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? So in 1 Timothy, Paul is telling Timothy that you can look at and um, gain understanding of how a person would lead in the church by uh, looking at how they lead in the family, if they're able to keep their children submissive. Now in Titus 1.6, these children, presumably still under the authority of the parent, uh, should not be open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination. And so these would be older children uh, that could do such things. Uh, George Knight, in his commentary on debauchery, uh, refers to 1 Peter 4.3 and says it includes sensuality, lusts, drunkenness, carousing, and drinking parties. So the elders' children should not exhibit these vices, and the parents should discipline their child in a way that precludes it. And then the elder's child should not be insubordinate. First Timothy 1.9, that means undisciplined, rebellious. And later, the Apostle Paul will use that word to describe the false teachers uh, that must be um, contrasted there in Crete. So George Knight, again, in his commentary on Titus, says the elders' children must not be characterized by immorality and undisciplined rebelliousness if they are still under his authority. And so I've referred to this as wise parenting as an indication, as an indication of how somebody may lead the church. Uh, it's not simply a matter of a parent um, imposing uh, the strictest regimen on their children, right? Uh, how is it that you will enable your children and help your children and foster your children? in such a way that they are not living a life of licentiousness and debauchery and drunkenness. Um, In Ephesians, the Apostle Paul says that children are to obey their parents, but it also says parents do not exasperate your children. And so parents can be too permissive and not have enough standards and discipline, and children, uh, parents can also be overly strict leading to rebellion as well. I've mentioned this story before in my own uh, experience growing up as a child. I uh, was uh, insubordinate at one point. I was in middle school and um, my parents made a rule for all their children that they would learn the piano. And uh, I was uh, uh, unenthusiastic about uh, learning to play the piano and I was out Uh, playing the piano in the living room, practicing, and I stopped, and I sat there, and my mom in the kitchen shouted out, I don't hear you playing the piano. And I said, I don't want to play the piano. It's a free country, and I don't have to play the piano if I don't want to play the piano. And she came in, and she said, what did you say? And I said, 
it's a free country and I don't have to play the piano if I don't want to play the piano. And she said, wait till your father comes home, which she never said. She believed in swift uh, repercussions. So I knew this was a big deal. Well, my father comes home and he says, what did you say to your mother? And I said, it's a free country and I don't have to play the piano if I don't want to play the piano. Well, I got my last spanking that day. Um, and then my parents had to figure out what to do. So they knew I really hated the piano because this was not my general MO, right? And, um, and they had to make a decision. You know, how hard line are they gonna be? They couldn't, they couldn't just let it go. And so what they decided on was, well, we will let you decide what musical instrument you want to play. You can play any musical instrument. And so I said, great, I'm going to play the drums. And, um, and I have to give them credit because they said, fine. So I learned to play the drums. They put up with the drums in my bedroom. And even now, my neighbors put up with my drum set uh, in my garage right now. I'm sure they love it. Um, so uh, now, parents, was that, was that good? Was that wise? I mean, really, it's tough, isn't it, to figure out what to do in parenting and as, uh, and as parents uh, wrestle with that, it's, it's a matter of wisdom in terms of how to be, when to be strict, when to be more lenient, when to major on the majors, when something is a little bit more minor. And so as, uh, as again, it's not perfection. Nobody's a perfect parent, but it can be an indication of how you will uh, deal with leadership <clears throat> within the church. Looking at verse 7, for an overseer, as God's steward, must be above reproach. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered or a drunkard or violent or greedy for gain, but hospitable, a lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. First, a comment about the word overseer in verse 7. We find that this word overseer here in Titus is used interchangeably for the word elder. And uh, it, it bears a little conversation. Um, the, the word overseer has more to do with the uh, function of the elder. That is, uh, the, the overseer is a steward, to use the language here, is a manager, a steward of a household would be a manager of a household who would make sure that everything was run smoothly and, and in order. Um, and so there are overseers in the church uh, they're the elders. Now, the word overseer um, is, in the Greek, episkopos. Sound familiar? What's the word for elder? Uh, presbyteros, right? So we've got the Presbyterians, and we've got the Episcopalians. Why? Because it has focus with a particular view of authority and government within the church. Presbyterian church is ruled by elders, we have a session, and that session is comprised of the elders in the church that are uh, on the session at that particular time. And then we have a presbytery, which is a group of churches that our group runs from Madison over to Mobile here in the Panhandle area. And we gather together quarterly um, to deliberate, to examine new pastors coming in, and so representatives from our session will go to each presbytery meeting. 
The uh, Episcopal Church, uh, the Episcopacy, says that there is a bishop that is over several churches. So the authority is vested in an individual over several churches. And so uh, that is a bishop. And so the overseer, that some of the translations will translate this word episcop episcopos as bishop. Uh, but in reality, what it is, is the same thing. An elder is an overseer. These two words are used interchangeably. And so one has emphasis on the function. And so the, the overseer uh, is not to be arrogant or quick-tempered, verse 7. Uh, we don't want our church leaders thinking I'm better, uh, somehow better than those that they are serving and leadership over. Instead, they're to be humble. Uh, we don't want leadership that flies off the handle, that is easily angered. Uh, our elders are not to be uh, drunkards or violent, verse 7. Drunkenness and violence often go together. And we don't want leadership that is given to abusing alcohol or drugs. Uh, this leads to violence. This oftentimes leads to immorality. It certainly leads to bad decision-making. And do keep in mind that in our society, in the entertainment world, violence is something that's often held up as a solution to solve your personal problems, right? And so, not so with our elders. Uh, our elders are not to be violent. An elder is not to be greedy, uh, but a giver instead, verses 7 and 8, hospitable, instead of seeing the church as a means of getting wealth. I'm reading through a book by Costi Hinn. Costi Hinn is the nephew of Benny Hinn, and uh, he's sort of come to the conclusion that the way he was raised was incorrect, prosperity preaching, and he actually worked for his uncle, and they experienced, uh, he experienced as a, as a young man um, living in uh, five-star hotels, penthouse five-star hotels, Michelin-starred uh, uh, restaurants, uh, having uh, super luxurious vehicles, and experience on all that and by the donations of, of people who are desperate for healing, people who are desperate to experience a taste of the, the um, luxury that, that the hens were experiencing um, because of the prosperity preaching. And so they saw this as a means of gaining wealth. Now, I don't think... There's probably too many of you in here that um, this applies to, or else you probably wouldn't be at our church, right? Just honestly, you'd probably go to some other church that preached that. Um, but we have to be careful, uh, and leaders have to be careful, that this isn't their motivation. When I was working with college students at Florida State, I remember talking to a student one day who was uh, pledging a fraternity, and I said, uh, why are you doing this? I mean, uh, why would you go through the hazing, sit out all night watching this stupid statue in front of your fraternity house, you know? And, and he said, well, um, it'll give me business contacts after I get done with school. And some people think of church as the same thing. It's a way to have business contacts. Uh, maybe if I get into leadership of the church, I'll have even better business contact. So instead, listen to what Peter says about elders. 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 1 through 3. This is a great summary. 
So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in charge of you, but being examples to the flock. We read here that elders are to pursue the love of what is good and not to be out of control. Titus 1.8, a lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. There are some people uh, within uh, the church at large, uh, they're very passionate for God. Um, they express that passion for God, but they're out of control. And I can think of several um, very prominent examples of uh, leaders and pastors that are just very passionate, uh, charismatic leaders, and yet their lives were out of control. On the other hand, you can have uh, people whose lives are in control. Uh, they have little passion for the Lord, and really uh, they're motivated more by uh, their personality of wanting their life to be under control. Um, and so they're not motivated by the Lord. But instead, the elder will have both. They will pursue uh, the love of what is good. They will be self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. Healthy, a healthy church needs spiritually healthy leaders and wise leaders. And then we also see here a healthy church needs leaders capable of ensuring biblical teaching. Verses 9 and 10. He must hold firmly to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may not be able to, so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. For there are many who are insubordinate, empty talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision party. So we see here that teaching and doctrine is crucial to a healthy church. In fact, it's healthy doctrine. And this is the word I've been using is healthy. And some of your translations you'll note in verse 9 uh, where it says uh, sound doctrine can be translated healthy doctrine. It's it's sound, it's accurate, it's true, it's from God, but it will promote spiritual health. It's good for us. So the, the elder must be able to teach uh, and at least ensure that what is taught is healthy doctrine. Uh, this week, uh, Francis Chan, a well-known uh, pastor, came out with a, a, a video, um, a sermon that... Uh, was somewhat controversial, um, and, and part of what he said in there was, uh, we need to, in our, in our churches, reorient from an, uh, the centrality of the Word to the centrality of the Lord's Supper. Um, now, I'm all for uh, the Lord's Supper and understanding the importance of the Lord's Supper and how it's a means of grace that God uses in our lives but by no means should we downplay the centrality of the Word of God. We see that here in Titus. We see it in Ephesians, where the Apostle Paul talks to Timothy. We saw it in the book of Acts, where the Apostle Paul speaks to the elders uh, in Ephesus as he's leaving and says, uh, 
ravenous wolves are going to come into your church. He's talking about people who are going to teach that which is not healthy, which will destroy the church. And so we need to understand the importance and the centrality of the Word of God. And we need to have elders that understand the Word of God, that are able to understand it and communicate it and refute uh, falsehood. Uh, And we see that's exactly what's happening here. Uh, Our elders, again, don't all have to be teachers with capital T, but with the lowercase t. They need to be able to um, rebuke and contradict correct uh, where that is the case. And so we have, for instance, in our ordination vows, uh, something that every elder uh, must vow. It says, do you sincerely receive and adopt the confession of faith and the catechisms of the church, of this church, as containing the system of doctrine taught in the Holy Scriptures? And do you further promise that if at any time you find yourself out of accord with any of the fundamentals of this system of doctrine, you will, on your own initiative, make known to your session the change which has taken place in your views since the assumption of your ordination vow. In other words, as a denomination, as a church, we have done what we can do to understand what that healthy doctrine is, what that sound doctrine is, and that our elders would know it, that our pastors would know it, and that we would uphold. We don't, um, we adhere to the Westminster Confession of Faith and believe that is a sound, that is a Um, a good summary of scripture, but scripture is our guide. When I uh, was brought into the presbytery, when I was ordained, they asked me a question, do you have any exceptions uh, to our standards, to the Westminster Confession of Faith? And if I said, yes, these are my exceptions, they would have to determine if those exceptions struck at the vitals of our faith and of scripture. And if they would, I would be disqualified And so we have, as a church, as a denomination, sought to determine what is healthy doctrine that our elders would know it for the good of our church. And let me just say that um, part of being an elder uh, is understanding uh, where to major on the majors and minor on the minors. You know, that's where wisdom is involved. There are some churches that are so doctrinaire that they have to dot every I, cross every T. They don't allow their congregation time to work through and think through um, uh, the not only central doctrines of Scripture, but some of these more uh, in-depth doctrines of Scripture. And so both are true. Uh, we need to teach all of Scripture, um, but some Scripture, some doctrines are central, some doctrines are important, and some doctrines are not as important. Just as a parent, uh, you have to tell your children immediately, don't run out into the street. That's vital. And um, maybe uh, matching their socks is not necessarily as vital as keeping them out of the street, right? And oncoming traffic. And we have similar things that elders must determine and must wisely um, uh, lead our church in. So elders must be committed to the truth of God's word and be able to to protect the church from false teaching. He must hold firmly to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction and sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. For there are many who are insubordinate, empty, empty talkers, deceivers, especially those of the circumcision party. 
The Apostle Paul names names. He says, these are the people that are teaching false doctrine, unhealthy doctrine, doctrine that will destroy and will harm the church. And next week, we're going to find out more about that, uh, who these people were and what they were teaching and how that applies to us. Our denomination owes a great debt to um, not only teaching elders, but ruling elders. Back at the inception of the Presbyterian Church in America, there, was, there were debates going on uh, about uh, these central aspects of doctrine, uh, including the Trinity, uh, including whether God's word uh, was reliable, uh, and there were elements of the denomination that we were in that said, no, God's word is not completely true. There are accurate parts and there are inaccurate parts. We need to follow some of it and some of it we shouldn't follow. And so there arose up a movement uh, that in large part uh, was fostered by ruling elders in uh, the denomination that formed what is now the Presbyterian Church in America. And so um, they have followed what it was in God's word. And we continue to have that calling as a church, as leaders, as elders, uh, to make sure that what is taught is the healthy, sound doctrine that will lead to a healthy church, that will lead to people coming to know Jesus Christ and trusting in him and believing him and putting their faith in him. Uh, that's central, the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so with that, uh, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your leadership uh, that you have called us uh, to bring about in the church, your elders and your deacons. And we pray that you would uh, bless our elders, that you would cause them to uh, know your word and to grow in your word and to um, <clears throat> and, and take seriously the task of protecting the sound doctrine, the healthy doctrine of our church for the benefit of our church that we might, um, we might grow in you and grow in the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. And if you would now uh, continue in worship, uh, we are going to sing, Holy God, we praise thy name. Let's stand and sing together.